Good afternoon, and thank you so much for being with us. So we are going to get right into it and talking about the chaos that we saw on the streets, bridges yesterday with the first major snowfall of the season. We're going to open up the phone lines in just a few moments and get your stories and your experiences if you were out and in it yesterday. But first, we want to check in with Jeff Jeffries, who is an AM730 traffic anchor, uh, to take a look at what happened and see how things are doing now. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jill. Uh, It was a busy day, I would say, uh, to say the least, for Uh, you and your crews yesterday. Yesterday and leading right into today as well. We had joked around the M730 uh, traffic center today that uh, the afternoon rush never ended yesterday. It continued (laughs) all the way into this morning. And I wish I was exaggerating, but I just wasn't. Um, Yeah. It was, I got some numbers for you here, uh, unofficial numbers. The east-west connector had a bunch of abandoned vehicles. We had uh, reports of at least 60 uh, wow. along the east-west connector. Uh, people were stuck on that thing for overnight hours completely, at least eight hours at least. <laughs> and just recently, they just cleared off the last abandoned vehicle, so that was about 20 hours where the east-west connector eastbound had some sort of delay on it. So that has just been cleared, which is fantastic. It was 18 hours across the Portman Bridge for their eastbound traffic for clearing off all their abandoned vehicles as well. So finally, traffic getting slightly back to normal here in Vancouver. That's the numbers, though. That Have you ever seen anything like that with, with people abandoning their vehicles during a snowstorm, a snow event like that? Now, every year we do get a snowstorm, and every year somebody abandons their vehicle. <laughs> but it's been nothing like this. I've been a traffic reporter for about eight and a half years now. And I have never seen traffic like I saw last night. And last night at home, I thought, for a LARF, I'm just going to check out the traffic map and see what happens. I looked at the traffic map, and there wasn't a route last night hmm. where that was open. There's not a single route. So it was a nightmare last night, bleeding on into this morning. And finally, finally, things are starting to get a little bit better. Yeah, and like you said, there was no – the rush just continued, went throughout the night. Did, did, did you get a sense from uh, people that were calling AM730 and what you were seeing? Was it just that people were driving that shouldn't have been on the roads? Was it roads weren't cleared? What was it, do you think, that it was, made it so bad? It was a factor of all of that uh, here. It's like not, not a lot of people had were prepared for the, with their tires. They had a lot of summer tires there, so that caused a lot of spin-outs and slide-outs. A lot of semis were on the side of the road. Um, but I just want to say that in Vancouver, when we get these snow events, like the temperature hovers around zero degrees. So it kind of sticks to around wet and ice in there. So it's not like the interior snow or the prairie snow where it's all nice and dry. It just gets really wet. So when we get like even 10 centimeters of snow, it just causes traffic chaos around Metro Vancouver. Yeah. No, that is absolutely true. Uh, So you mentioned, so some good news, though. You've seen uh, the abandoned vehicles, 60 of them at least, on the east-west connector. Mm -hmm. Those have been cleared as well. The Portman, are there still any trouble spots or any areas out there that uh, are still uh, causing issues? I still have a couple of abandoned vehicles along the King George Hill as you make your way away from the Patello Bridge as you climb up towards University Drive. Still a couple of abandoned vehicles there. Still heard about a couple of them uh, on the highway between Surrey and Abbotsford as well, but those are so off to the side of the road that they're not much of anything but a visual distraction at this point. And we still have some icy conditions on some of the off-ramps and on-ramps, especially in Richmond on the 91 westbound on-ramp to the 99 south. That is still very icy right now and has been busy all morning and still is right now. And, oh yeah, by the way, there's a crash at the south end of the Massey Tunnel right now too. So oh, that's no. got traffic lining up from the golf course off the Richmond side. So there you go. Oh no. Do, do you know what it was? And I, I won't keep you much longer, Jeff, but I know our Jazz Joe Hall was stuck in that traffic trying to get to the tunnel, trying mm-hmm. to get to South Delta last night. And people were asking, well, what was it that it was just a stand still for eight hours. Was it just the crashes and they couldn't get in to clear them? Or do you know what it kind of caused that level 
of everybody being stuck. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt, uh, scuttlebutt on our AM730 Twitter account about where were the crews, where is everybody. you got to remember, though, I said 60 vehicles on the east-west connect that were abandoned. There's only like two or three tow trucks in Richmond to handle all that, right? Right. So there's not there's, well, the amount of crashes and the incidents and the spin-outs that we had yesterday. This, the main roads crews and all the other contractors out there were just overwhelmed. So, And even after like the first initial 20 slide-outs, and you've got a huge lineup and nobody moving. And that means that the, the tow trucks are all the way at the back of the line, and they're not moving either, too, right? So that's what adds to the situation. All right. Well, again, a very busy, busy time for you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for doing this. Uh, one note, though, yeah. tonight, um, you, it's not bad out there right now, partly sunny skies. Uh, the roads are melting a little bit, but mm-hmm. as soon as the sun sets, it's going to get real cold, according to our friend Mark Madrigo out there. So that means the roads are going to get real icy for tonight and into tomorrow morning. So use caution tomorrow morning as well. That is a good, good warning. Thank you again so much. No problem. Right now, though, it is Wednesday afternoon, and that means it's time to check in with Claire Newell, as we do every Wednesday at this time. Claire, good afternoon to you. Oh, good afternoon, Jill. I'm going to be tuning in because I have to tell you, I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat, so I'm working from home today, um, and I am a little little under the weather, so um, if I'm not as articulate as I normally am, not that I'm saying I'm articulate, but <laughs> my daughter this morning said, Mom, you don't sound yourself. You're slower. I'm like, oh, no. oh <laughs> so annoying. It's because of the meds, I think. All right. Um, and, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot going on uh, with travel, and I, I want to get right into it because there is a lot of experts who, who are in the industry saying that it could be a real nightmare for Christmas coming up uh, for Canadian travelers. So I just wanted to touch on this because I actually took a look at what happened over U.S. Thanksgiving because that's the busiest travel day down south. And they had 2.5 million flyers screened on Sunday at U.S. airports, which was actually a pandemic high, Jill. So Hmm. um, the U.S. airlines, for the most part, I would say, avoided uh, the huge cancellation mayhem that we had seen earlier in the year. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a major development. Uh, The number of travelers was a little bit lower than it was the same time uh, in 2019. In 2019, over on Thanksgiving, they had 2.88 million, and so this year they had 2.56 million. But the airlines reported very few cancellations over the holiday travel period. Uh, they did have 177 cancellations on Sunday and 36 on Monday. That is a fraction of the flights that actually flew. So although that does sound like big numbers, it's actually pretty good. Um, I'm not so sure that it's going to be a real nightmare for Canadians. The only thing is, is that the, you know, the air passenger volumes this holiday season is supposed to reach pre-pandemic standards, which is great. Um, And I think that the airlines are much more ready to handle those types of numbers than they were in, say, summer. We saw, you know, June, July and August were crazy. We reported on that together, Jill. It was a real nightmare. Um, I would still, if you can, stick to carrying on luggage only if possible. I'd probably drop in a wireless tracking device as well. I use Tile, but I know a lot of people use the Apple one. Um, 
just because checked in bags, they could get delayed, they could get misplaced. And if you're only coming in or going somewhere for a really short duration, you just don't want your bag to show up, you know, day two or three by the time some, some people are almost heading home. I would purchase trip interruption and cancellation insurance. I think it's an absolute must. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to remind people of, we're getting really close. If you're traveling over the holidays and you have not looked at your passport, lots of people haven't traveled in the past two or three years just because of COVID. Um, you might want to check your passport. The, the passport offices are handling things quite well at the moment. They're actually bringing on extra staff and they're, they're, you know, really beefing up their workforce, but it's still going to take at least two, two and a half weeks to get your, your passport back if you mail it in. It will be quicker potentially if you, you take it in. And I would recommend doing that if you live closer to a, a passport office, say the one in Richmond, Surrey or, or in Vancouver. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, it's uh, awful when you kind of you realize you've forgotten to look at it and then you do and you see it's either expired or expiring uh, shortly and you need to get it uh, done as fast as you can. Yeah, honestly, it's just it's crazy. The other thing about passport offices, but also along the whole travel, um, whether it's airlines or airports, big thing here in Canada is the fact that, uh, you know, we can still get poor weather conditions around the holidays. We've seen this weather event today or over last night um, and how it affects flights or lots of cancellations yesterday and, and, and many more delays. And so that kind of thing, domino effects right across Canada. So if you've got a flight, you know, going to Calgary that potentially goes on to Toronto, it's a big domino effect. The other thing is um, labor shortages. It's still a bit of a concern, but personnel calling in sick can always uh, add to the nightmare of things. And with COVID and the flu and with that uh, respiratory illness that's going around, that always kind of is in the back of my mind. The other thing is, is that here in Canada, we have a bit more supply. So I know that's good for us, more choice, cheaper airfare um, for consumers. But because of that, it means more planes flying um, from certain airports that may already be strained. So, you know, before COVID, we didn't really hear about companies like Canada Jetlines, Flair or Lynx, but they're flying now. And in addition to our big carriers that we're used to hearing, Air Canada, WestJet, and then um, Transat, Sunwing, and the other carriers that, that fly. So it will be interesting. My fingers and toes are crossed. I, I would really recommend people take advantage of the fact that you can book appointments at most of the Canadian major airports to go through security lineups. And you can do that up to 72 hours prior. You can go to the airport's website. Vancouver was actually the first to have this. Um, it's called Vancouver Express. So people were saying that they weren't getting a great experience with it. But when I pushed them and emailed them back, they were saying that it wasn't a busy time at the airport anyway. It will be busy over the holidays. So that's going to be important. And again, you know, the simple rules we all talk about that people forget, just be ready going through security. Don't pack your um, your Christmas presents already pre-wrapped because security will have to open them. And it just... Um, Really just be ready when you're going to the airport with all of your documents ready and out so you're not, you know, taking up the lines. But um, I, I did read that headline and I was 
pretty nervous about it. There was a quite there were quite a few different um, travel industry news wires that were that were reporting on that, and I'm not as concerned as some of the other people might be. Well, that is good to hear. Absolutely. I'm curious. I meant to ask you this before. When you're talking about the the Express and if you register for the Express to get through security faster and to to get on your way, do you need to do that if you have a Nexus card or is it something that you would do if you don't have Nexus? No, I wouldn't. If you have a Nexus card, you already have those, uh, you know, those separate lineups. But if you don't have one and I have certain family members that actually don't. These are um, Security Line Express tools that are now available. The airports that you can do this in are now Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and Montreal. And you can do it, as I said, up to 72 hours before departure. But you can actually do it if you forget up until an hour and 15 minutes before a scheduled flight. So you don't actually have to have a particular airline or have special access. This is free of charge. And you can actually bring 10 guests up to it if, they, if you're traveling with an extended family, all with one uh, one QR code. So they may not have it if you're going, say, tomorrow or the next day, but if you are going over the holidays, they may implement these lines more readily, and I would I'd just err on the side of caution and do it. All right, that is uh, good advice for sure. Uh, before we get to the deals, I wanted to touch uh, on one other thing too, and this was, uh, you mentioned some of the, the airlines maybe we don't talk about as much, but Air Canada also, if we're looking ahead to the summer, which I know seems like a long way away, but they're already making some changes there. They are, and one of them was kind of welcome news for me that they're actually doubling the Vancouver to Newark, New Jersey, which is one of the airports I like to fly in when I'm visiting New York City. It's really easy, uh, and it's um, you can you can. They're going to be going twice daily for their summer schedule for 2023. Unfortunately, Dallas Fort Worth and San Jose California will no longer operate. Um, there are other changes uh, that they're going to be released, and when they do, we'll let you know about this. But it was interesting to see this change. I can tell you, though, from my daughter doing a Vancouver-Newark flight, it was pretty expensive for her to do it. There's not a lot of choice. There was either JetBlue or Air Canada flying to New York. Um, a couple of others that were via other cities, which she didn't really want to do. She's only going for th- She was only going for three nights. So hopefully with twice daily service to New York out of Vancouver, that should bring down the price um, because it, it's really expensive at the moment. All right. Uh, that is uh, good to know for sure. Uh, do you want to get to the deals or do we have anything else that we need to cover first? Well, I just wanted to quickly um, mention something that I think is pretty exciting as well because it really opens up Western Canada to Florida. And if you want to continue on to, say, the Caribbean or join up with a cruise, Air Canada is going to be starting their Vancouver to Miami flight. They had this way back 18 years ago. Like, it hasn't been around since then. But on December the 17th, that will be a year-round service that they're hoping for. So they always say that they plan it for a year-round service, but that depends on the interest. So hopefully there will be interest, but that really does open up Florida for Western Canada. Um, And yeah, let me start with some deals. And one of which has already sold out. So I'm going to change some dates on you. But Mazatlan, January 6th, 13th or 20th, airfare and seven nights in a five-star beachfront all-inclusive resort. For those who know it, it's the Rio Emerald Bay. It's a beautiful property, 
1165, taxes of 490. Next, if Honolulu's been on your list and you've wanted to be at a beachfront resort, well, I've got a nice one. It's uh, the four-star Hilton Hawaiian Village beachfront resort. And there are a few dates. Some are already sold out. Uh, I sent them to Jill just this morning and uh, the first two dates are gone. But January the 17th, 25th, 26th, 27th, 30th, or 31st. Those, again, those are all January dates between January 17th and 31st. Airfare and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort. It's the Hilton Hawaiian Village, $1,199, taxes of $352. And do we have one time for one more? Yes, for sure. So I love this deal, and I'm so sorry to say it's, it has to be booked by tomorrow. I wish I could give you more time on this if you're listening and love it. It's a 14-night Mediterranean cruise that really focuses on Greece, Croatia, and Turkey. There are three dates, June the 3rd, July the 15th, or August the 26th. And it's a Black Friday deal that ends tomorrow, so end of day tomorrow. But it's a 14-night cruise aboard Celebrity Infinity with the classic beverage package, Wi-Fi, and prepaid gratuities. But the kicker here is that um, it has up to 1300 US dollar onboard credit available if you book it by tomorrow. And it's uh, $19.59, taxes of $277. I don't know, but 1300 US dollar for an onboard credit hmm. for something that's 1959 Canadian plus tax? That's good bonus. <laughs> that does seem pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good bonus. So um, the details are on the website, uh, travelbestbets.com, if, if you're not, weren't able to like jot it down and are interested. But uh, I thought that was a really great deal. Yes, for sure. All right, Claire, so great to, to have you back. Thank you so much for being with Thanks, us. And we'll Jill. talk to you again soon. Talk to you next week. Bye. Sounds good. That is Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel Best Bets. And again, all of those deals and the information at travelbestbets.com. We have been talking about the snowfall, the mayhem on the roads and chaos. As we heard right off the top of the show, at least 60 vehicles were abandoned on the east-west connector yesterday. We've been hearing from people who were stuck for hours trying to get through the Massey Tunnel going south. Those are just a couple examples. Look at the Alex Fraser Bridge and in Surrey, the King George. So many issues. So we heard from the deputy minister talking, the deputy director, sorry, that is of highway services spoke earlier about that and again keep those calls coming to the buzz line we want to hear what you experienced during this snowstorm but right now joining us to talk a bit more about what happened is George Harvey he is the mayor of Delta Mayor Harvey thank you so much for being with us oh thank you for uh, inviting me again uh, how were things in Delta for the snow uh, of course uh, I received a number of uh, voicemails while people were in their cars uh, and all of them, all of them that I received and uh, was attacked personally insofar as not doing my job properly, uh, they were on Highway 99 or uh, Alex Fraser Bridge or access to the tunnel, everything which Delta is not responsible for. It's main road. But I was also very concerned last night with regards to if we had any major emergencies or fires with regards to Annis's Island. That was pretty well locked off. Uh, but it was... Um, I took I took a drive out uh, yesterday evening into the our roads in South Delta and they were they were they were good, but I did notice one thing: a lot of cars that couldn't even make a small little bit of a hill and climb on 56th Street because they didn't have snow tires. 
Right. And a number of our number of our truck drivers told me personally that they had problems because they couldn't get in, then they couldn't get out uh, because of the problems of people traveling uh, without proper tires, and that's always been a problem. But when you have just one accident, regardless of the snow, uh, say that affects the Alex Fraser, it affects all the other major areas, and of course, with all of them being uh, a problem, that created uh, just a problem, you know, huge problems for us. I had. People I know that were trying to get back from the hockey game last night, it took them over six hours. Six hours on 99. Well, and, and Jazz Johal, who's going to be up next here, he was stuck in it, I think, for about eight hours. It took him to get home. But he did mention kind of following up on what you said. So he was stuck as, lo- as well, many others were as well, in that lineup on Highway 99 trying to get to the tunnel. He did say, I believe, and he's going to talk about this on his show, that once he got through the tunnel, then it was fine. And he was able to move again. And and you mentioned those spots where there were major issues. So uh, it's un- unfortunate that, that you're getting the complaints from people because, like you said, that's not Delta's jurisdiction. But what happened, do you think, then, in that these are key parts of the roadway and the road system for people who live in Delta. So what happened to, say, the Alex Fraser and the, the tunnel and that? Why, why was it such a mess? Well, apparently uh, the weather conditions uh, progressed, uh, but I can only speak for, for us in Delta, and I know the other cities that were doing the same. We were out, you know, 24 hours before. We had a good forecast uh, that was, uh, was made. Uh, even on Monday, we did a, a pr- announcement in front of uh, live council uh, from our engineering department about the snow preparedness they were doing for that evening. Uh, so we were very well prepared. We had lined our streets. Uh, but it, again, uh, everything comes down to moving traffic in Delta and Surrey and other areas. It depends upon how good those major highway corridors are and the bridges are and the accesses to the tunnel, for example. If they're not done properly, the whole system clogs, just like it did yesterday. Uh, have you been able to talk to anybody with Main Road or get more clarification on, was it a, a, a condition or was it a scenario where things did progress so quickly with snow on the roads and spun out vehicles and abandoned vehicles that crews just couldn't access the areas to clear them and to get people moving? Or was it they just, they just for whatever reason, didn't do that? I'm, actually, my phone calls are going to be to our local MLAs, uh, MLA Teton from South Delta and Minister Callan from North Delta, to ask them to ensure that they look into the contracts to make sure that the contract language is being followed and that the expectations are being followed. That's the provincial government's job, and that's my job of my MLAs to ensure that they give that feedback back to me. Uh, and what about the east-west connector? Because that was another area where our traffic friends down the hall at AM730 uh, joined us right off the top of the show saying there were at least 60 abandoned vehicles on that stretch of road, and they've not seen that before. I mean, that's a lot of people who got out, walked, or, or however they, they got on their way, left their vehicles behind. What about that stretch of road? Well, it's actually a real safety problem when you've got that many people stuck in a winter storm. Uh, this is something you see usually on the newscasts from Ontario and Toronto area, uh, but I, I've never heard of, I've seen that many vehicles uh, that were abandoned. And also, how did they actually get away from those scenes? Where were they? Were they walking? Were they picked up? Or what? I, mean, I, I was quite concerned for public safety on that issue. But again, that's the provincial governments. The east-west connector maintaining that stretch of of the roadway. Yes. Uh, so that's the provincial governments. It's extension of ninety-one. Right. Okay. 
And do, so you're going to be calling uh, the local MLAs and, and looking for answers to that. Do you get a sense, though? I mean, uh, again, people are, are telling these horror stories of the chaos. It, it doesn't seem uh, like it it happened the way it should have. Like you said, we had advance warning that the snow was coming and that this was going to be an issue. Granted, drivers take uh, have to be accountable as well. We're hearing from a lot of people that people were out with summer tires and going too fast and not driving for the conditions. But uh, what are you hoping? we might take away from this well you know hopefully lessons uh you know from this after the proper debriefings held we have our, our staff do debriefings after every significant weather condition whether it's a flood or whether it's snow um, and if i've always said if staff feel that their their equipment uh they need more trucks or more plows uh, we're always prepared as delta to put that in our budget uh, but we want to make sure our, our, our we have we're fully staffed we're working 24 hours a day uh, Delta can only do what it's responsible for, for it Delta itself. But I want to impress upon the people that we actually have two workshops now, one in the north, one in the south, and we're pounding away with the brine and, and, and salt, and we'll continue to do that over the winter months. Uh, because I think the next snow event is supposed to be hitting us, maybe not as bad as yesterday, but but Friday. So, I mean, lessons learned from today and from last night, uh, but would it be the same then for Delta as far as, like you said, getting out there and, and prepping those roads? Uh, they're prepping right now, absolutely prepping right now. Have you yeah, heard? I got oh. to commend my staff. It's, mm-hmm. it's a t- I don't know if you've ever been in a snowplow, but I have. And it's <laughs> riding along, a, and it's a tough, tough job, <clears throat> especially when you can't get to where you, you know, you're supposed to be going. So once you get stalled and everything just backs up because you can't get past the cars that are on the hills, that type of thing. Uh, but I want to press upon the public in Delta that, uh, again, <clears throat> before you give me a bad email, <laughs> Check to make sure Delta, it's not it's not the provincial government's highway, not Delta's. No, uh, for for sure. And you make a, a good point. Uh, the snow plows hard enough doing that job in the best of conditions, but when you're dealing with uh, 60 abandoned vehicles plus, I can't even imagine how uh, you would get that job done or get there to to clear that for sure. Um, you raise an interesting point, though, and Mayor, I just wanted to ask you as well. What does this say? That I mean, this was yes the first snow event really of this season, but what does this say about if there was an emergency or if there was something where there needed to be an evacuation and the the readiness and the infrastructure needed for people to get out safely. Well, it's a real concern, uh, but uh, was it, you know, preparedness isn't just on the uh, local governments or even the contractors working for the province. Preparedness is on the individual who's driving a car, and that should be something that should be commented on. There's a lot of people that decided to take their car, even though they had that snowstorm warning, they weren't prepared, and that created quite a bit of the problem that happened. A lot of people have been asking why it's not mandatory that snow tires be used when there is weather like that. Do you think that's something that should be looked at? I think it's really hard to enforce, um, but I think that we have to do is a good education and uh, for the for the public to realize that hey, it's important. I had my snow tires on two weeks ago, um, and you know I, I wanted to be prepared. Always think once November comes, that's when you do it. Uh, you don't do it when the first snowfall happens. All right. Mayor George Harvey, as always, thank you so much for joining us on the show and bringing us up to date on this. Anytime. Thank you.
Here's something you might not have thought about before, but it's making toys accessible for kids with disabilities. And there is a Canadian charity that is doing that. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about what they do and the goal when it comes to adapting toys to make it that kids with disabilities can enjoy them and play with them just like everybody else. And joining us to talk more about this is Chad Lehman, the Director of Innovation for the Neil Squire Society. Chad, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on the show, Jill. Well, it's just such a great thing that you are doing. Before we get into that, though, can you explain a little bit what is the Neil Squire Society and what do you do? Yeah, Neil Squire Society is a Canadian charity that's headquartered right here in Burnaby, B.C. Our mission is to empower people with disabilities through technology, knowledge and passion. We have a wide range of programs helping people with disabilities get into the workforce, uh, have the accommodations they need to be included in the community. And we also have an R&D department, which has spun up our Makers Making Change program, which is leading this Hacking for the Holidays campaign. All right. So tell us about that. The Makers Making Change, Hacking for the Holidays, what are they doing? Yeah, Makers Making Change has a library of assistive technology devices that is all open source. This means anyone can build these devices, uh, kind of like Ikea or Lego, you kind of could build these devices instead of have to purchase something that's quite often quite expensive. One of those things that is really expensive are toys for kids with disabilities. So you think, you know, you go into your favorite box store, you can buy a teddy bear where you squeeze one paw and it sings a song, squeeze another paw and it counts numbers. That's like 20 bucks. But if you needed it to interface with assistive technology used by many kids under the age of five, that teddy bear is now a $250, $300 teddy bear. It's incredibly expensive, and it's not complicated to adapt it uh, to meet the needs and allow the assistive technology used by these kids to access these toys independently. And so how do people get involved when you say it's kind of open in that, in that sense? How do people get involved and do this? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways people get involved. We've had a number of great community partners and corporate sponsorships bring us into their workplace and host us. I bring the toys and the tools, show them how to do it, and they get adapting. But we also have a couple of events open to the public coming up. One this Friday, or sorry, this Saturday, which is December 3rd, uh, which is the United Nations Day of Persons with Disabilities. So we'll be at the Vancouver Hack Space, uh, 1601 Venables from noon to late. Uh, we'll have some food there, but we'll also have a whole bunch of toys. So even if you haven't started before, it's not a hard thing to do. We can teach you how to do that. Our goal is to get 500 toys ready in time of the holidays. And these are going to the BC Children's Hospital, uh, Sunny Hill, BC Centre for Ability, and a number of families have reached out to us to say they could use a Switch Adapted toy uh, for their kids this holiday season. It's such a great thing. And like you said, it's not super complicated for people that know how to do this. Uh, you gave the example uh, of the bear and and making it, adapting the bear. I, I would imagine there must be other toys as well. And when you're talking about 500 toys, so what are some other examples of toys that, that can be easily adapted and so that kids can use them? Yeah, anything that takes a battery can be adapted, uh, essentially. So, and it's just a matter of either interrupting that circuit, put a little sort of uh, extra port in, or running it in parallel. Sounds complicated, but it's really easy. I've taught bankers how to do it. I'm sure many community members can do it. I've been really blessed to have a tons of schools throughout uh, the lower mainland sort of join in, and the robotics students are working at it, too. Good toys will do one of three things for kids with disabilities. They'll either make a sound, they'll have lights, or have some sensory blow, um, like a bubble blower or something like that. Something to try to help these young kids learn cause and effect that they can control their environment. And that ability to use switch access to trigger these toys is foundational skills for further communication and uh, childhood development as they age.
And have you been able to see kind of the reaction from kids when they get these toys and realize that they have been adapted and they're able to play with them? Yeah, it's really powerful to sort of have see that aha moment where they can use the toys independently and participate and play like anyone else. And this has gone from, you know, really simple toys to things like video gaming. You know, you think your your video game Xbox joystick is really just a bunch of buttons on it. Uh, and again, you can sort of hack that and adapt it so people can maybe if they don't or they're missing a finger, you know, they're pushing buttons with their feet or with their knees or with their head, um, but really sort of move the input to work to the functional needs of the user so that the environment is successful and meets their needs so they can fully participate. It's uh, really powerful to sort of see the impact. There's some great stories on our website about the impact of this work. Oh, it just, it seems amazing. Are, are they geared to certain age groups or are there age groups that, that are more uh, benefited by this or more in need of these toys? Yeah, a lot of times it's for kids that are five or under. So you may imagine you had a kid that maybe is, is not moving, he's not speaking, maybe has very limited movement at all. Just figuring out spots where they can independently reliable sort of digitize their tent. So for someone that may be, you know, hitting a large button, for someone maybe lifting the finger, but when they can sort of have that control in the environment, it really becomes the foundation for other community inclusion and engagement and opportunities to communicate. So it's uh, with some great partners in the community we work with that do some real amazing work with these families that need the help. Um, but so much assistive technology is so expensive and these families are facing so many barriers. So to do something simple, like get some toys to their kids for Christmas, uh, you know, it's not hard for us and volunteers to do this work, but it has a tremendous impact and uh, one less worry for families, especially to go into this holiday season. Absolutely. Um, tell us again, you mentioned the event coming up and going to the website, but tell us again, how do people find out more about this or learn more about how they might get involved? Yeah, so for, if you want to get involved, the website you want to look at is makersmakingchange.com. That's our library of assistive devices on Makers Making Change. Uh, right at the top is our Hacking for the Holiday campaign. Uh, donations low $50 lets us have the funding to buy a toy and to get the parts together to build the switch and these can go to families and normally that'd be you know 300 to 400 dollars on the piece so it's a real magnifying input um and if people want to come out to our event they can sign up for that for december 3rd and get involved join us at the hack space uh it's all right there on makersmakingchange.com look for the hacking for the holidays right at the top all right sounds good chad thank you so much for joining us and for talking about this today Thanks for having me, and I hope everyone has a better commute than yesterday. Thanks so much. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Uh, that is Chad <laughs> Lehman, Director of Innovation for the Neil Squire Society. Again, that website, makersmakingchange.com, if you want to check that out and learn more about that.